Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. What a message this choir has given us. I have come to tell you. I've come to tell you he's alive. Man, he's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. We've sang that today. Our God is not dead. I'm trying to let that sink in on you. I know it's not Easter. You're like, preacher, it ain't Easter Sunday. Come on. Hey, every day ought to be a day to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come to tell you that he's alive. What a message. No greater word to hear. No greater word to receive. And the best thing in the world we can do is believe it. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 emphatically, beloved, delivers this same message to the church at Corinth and ultimately to the church at Trinity right here today. He says in chapter 15, I have come to tell you that he is alive. He's saying there's a lot of people who say there's no resurrection from the dead. There's been a lot of people among you speculating that he really didn't rise from the grave. That was just a a notion. Or if he did rise, it might not have been a a bodily resurrection. It might have been some kind of spiritual experience that you had with with a ghost somewhere somehow. And they were even going so far as to say it really, really doesn't matter. Either way, it really, really doesn't affect our faith. Either way, and Paul is standing up with great authority, the authority of the Holy Spirit, and saying, oh, yes, he did rise from the grave, and oh, yes, it does matter whether we believe he did or not, beloved. He's saying, I have come to tell you that he's alive. Church, it matters that we know what we believe. It really matters that we know what we believe and we know why we believe it and how it impacts our daily life and our faith. Jonathan Whitfield was preaching to a bunch of coal miners in England on one occasion. It was said that he he got a hold of a a single man. He asked him this pointed question. What do you believe, dear sir? What do you believe? The man pondered a minute and he said, well, I believe the same thing the church believes. And he thought, well, that's not the answer I'm looking for. I'll I'll fish a a little deeper. So he said, sir, what, what does the church believe? He pondered a minute and he said, well... I guess they believe the same thing that I believe. And he got a little frustrated understanding that this line of questioning wasn't taking him anywhere that he wanted to go. And anywhere properly, he thought, I'll cut to the chase and I'll pin him down. He says, I want to know then, sir, what is it that you both believe? What do you and the church, what is it that you both believe? And the man pondered a minute and he said, well... I suppose we both believe the same thing. I mean, hey, hey, he had no idea what was going on and what he believed. Man, I'm afraid the church is there today. I'm afraid we come in and we go out. And the world might ask us today, what do you believe? And I wonder if we understand what we believe today. I hearken back to the old days, the Apostles' Creed. I love this little creed. It reads this way. I printed it so I wouldn't totally mess it up. It reads this way. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, beloved, and buried, and descended into hell. I believe on the third day, He rose 
again from the dead. How many of y'all believe that this morning? I believe that he's not dead any longer. He was, but now he's alive. I believe he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost and I believe in the church in its unity. I believe in the communion of the saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now I wonder if we wouldn't do well as a church today just to grab on to that and say that is what we believe. Amen. <clears throat> That's our confession. Paul is trumpeting to us today. He's saying, man, you better believe a whole lot of things. But above them all, I believe he's saying in this context, you better believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you this morning again. How many of y'all believe that Jesus Christ was dead? That he didn't swoon? That he didn't just pass out for a little while? I believe that he was dead and beloved by his very own power three days after his death. He took up his life bodily again and walked on this planet. How many of y'all believe that this morning? Praise be unto God. You ought to believe it. You have to believe it. And if you do, it brings some great things into your life. Paul says in this chapter, because of the resurrection, it means that precious grace is available to us. The resurrection, beloved, he says, is an indispensable part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says it's a threefold gospel. You got to believe that Jesus died for your sins. You got to believe that he was buried. And he said, you got to believe that he rose again the third day. It's an indispensable part of the doctrine of salvation for us today. It's what releases the grace of God. Beloved, if there's no resurrection, there is no gospel. And if there is no gospel, there is no grace. And if there is no grace, there is no salvation. I'm glad today that he did rise from the dead and bring forgiveness into our life. And by the grace of God, Paul said, through the resurrected Lord, I am what I am. In verse 17 of this chapter, he says this very clearly. If Christ be not raised, faith is dead and we are still dead in our sins. Thanks be unto God that he's alive this morning and we're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but by His grace we live today. Resurrection means a great deal. It means His precious grace is available in our life. How many of y'all are glad today for the day that the grace of God found you by way of the power of the resurrected Lord? The resurrection means precious grace is available. Secondly, it means this, Paul says, that the power of the grave is annulled. I love that statement. Death, beloved, now is swallowed up in victory. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be unto God who has given us the victory through and implied here is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God. The grave has no issue in my life. Thanks be unto God. Death is not an issue in my life. Jesus was the first fruits of the dead. And beloved, I'm going to follow after him by the same resurrection power that raised him up from the grave. Death will never see me. Death will never touch me. I may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm going to walk through with the hand of the resurrected Lord in my hand. And I'll walk right through to the kingdom of an almighty God. The resurrection today means the grave is annulled. Its power is not of any value in my life. It cannot touch me. It cannot harm me. It cannot hold me because He is alive, beloved. I will live and live forevermore. 
Because of the resurrection today, beloved, it means that precious grace is available. You better believe He's alive or there'll be no grace for you. Because of the resurrection, the power of the grave is annulled. Listen, if He didn't defeat death, hell, and the grave, I never shall. Thanks be unto God that He did. And the grave has no say in my life or my destiny. Thirdly, because of the resurrection, that means the prospects of glory for us are assured. I am glad that one of these days, beloved, this old corruption will put on incorruption. I'm glad that one of these days this old mortality will put on immortality. I'm glad that one of these days I'll shed this flesh just like an old bathrobe, beloved, and I'll be just like that, changed in a twinkling of an eye, and I'll be in glory alongside my resurrected Lord and Savior in just a moment. Because He is alive and lives forevermore, so shall I. I'm glad because of the resurrection, my best days, beloved, are ahead of me yet. We went this summer to freshman orientation up at Appalachian State. They took the kids one way, they took the parents another. They told them some things and they told us some things, a different agenda for the two. There's one thing that stuck in my mind that a dear lady was saying. She said uh, at the beginning of her little speech to us, she said, parents, I want you to do me a favor. There's one thing I do not want you to tell your kids. I hear it all the time and I think it's just a lie. You don't need to be sowing it into the life of your kids. It doesn't do them any good. I was getting anxious to hear what this was. She said, I don't want you to ever tell your kids these are the best four years of your life. Please don't ever tell them that because that's not true. She said, how depressing would it be if these were the best four years of your life? She said, they don't have any house. They don't have any money. They don't have any family. They don't have any job. They don't even have any prospects. They don't have any say-so. Heaven, if this is the best four years of their life, they're in trouble. And then she said this, they're simply here to prepare for the rest of their life, which ought to be their best days. And I thought, thanks be unto God. If we could grasp that reality of our entire life, that all we're doing here is preparing for what will go on in glory, beloved. These aren't the best days of our life. They lie ahead of us in a kingdom greater than this and in a place better than this. I'm glad that my best days are ahead of me. This world is wonderful to be sure. It's some, got stuff to experience. It's just a marvelous and a matchless place in its beauty. But I'm glad today that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I have a promise that there's a better kingdom with a better covenant and a better place with a better king that I live in throughout all eternity because of his resurrection. I'm here to tell you, you better believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is arguing for 57 verses in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus Christ is alive. He argues for his factual resurrection. He argues for his historical resurrection. He argues for his bodily resurrection. And man, he says it's absolutely essential to our faith. Its benefits are immeasurable. Its ultimate victory over death and hell and the grave for us and it guarantees us life and life forever. Our best days are ahead. This question though comes to my mind. What do we do? What do we do until then? What do we do? We're here. What do we do until we're birthed into that kingdom? What is it that we do in the interim time? Until then, what do we do? I love the Holy Spirit. And I love his leadership of the Apostle Paul in verse 58. He tucks in what we ought to do. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. You ought to write this down somewhere. 
Belief determines behavior every time. Always does. What you believe to be true in your heart is going to determine how you behave in life. And he's arguing here for the resurrection of Jesus Christ in verses 1 and 2. He said, listen, this is what you believed. This is where you stood. This is what you received. And this is what saved you. And he's saying, now in light of the truth of that belief, this is how you ought to live. In the light of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in light of that belief that we have, here's how we ought to behave until we see him face to face. Let's read it together. He says, therefore, because of all I've said in these last 57 verses, because he is alive, beloved, because it is a fact in history and in your life and in your faith, because of all that, my beloved brethren, be ye, what's that word? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love this last phrase, for as much as ye know that ye labor is not in vain in the Lord. Until then, because we believe there is a then, this is how we ought to behave. He gives us four thoughts. He says, number one, you ought to be constant. You ought to be constant. He uses the word steadfast. He says, be steadfast. You ought to be constant in your life. What does steadfast mean? It means the same. It means be the same. Be firm. Be firm in what you believe. Be firm in who you are. Don't be swayed easily. We live in a time today where a book will come out, people will grab it, and they'll run after it. And they'll stake their life on it. And they'll begin to plan how they live on it. He's saying, don't do that. Don't be swayed by the latest comings and going. Don't be swayed by the latest fancy thing that somebody rolls out for you. He says, listen to your heart. Listen to what the Holy Spirit has taught you in the beginning and stand right there. Be firm. Don't be blown about, doesn't the Word say, with every wind of doctrine. Man, stand firm in the things that you know to be true and the things that you have received. He's saying, be constant. There's a brand new store that just opened up in the Asheville Mall. It's called H&M. I don't want a show of hands of who's been there already. Man, on the night it opened, I'll tell you this, I was there. It wasn't because I wanted anything. I was there with three girls. And man, I was just holding the stuff. You know what I'm saying? I found myself at one point holding three jackets, had an Appalachian State purse uh, hooked around my arm, had an armload of clothes hangers in this hand, stuff draped over this hand, and I was just told to be steadfast right where I was. And man, I was in everybody's way. I, I couldn't get out. The crowd was so thick in that store, man, and I thought, I got to find me somewhere to get out of the way of these people. I, I wandered over to the toddler section because there was nobody over there shopping, and I laid everything I had down there and just stood there and took a deep breath waiting on the girl to get done knowing I was in for a long wait. How many of y'all hear what I'm saying? I thought, why in the world is everybody in here, man? There must be something super spectacular about this store that I'm just not aware of. Well, the prices are good. I looked around at that. Man, I got to looking at everything. Then I got to noticing some of the fashion. And man, it dawned on me. I said, man, I've seen some of this stuff before. Have y'all ever, ever been there? Man, I look around at the button-down collars, them old collared shirts with a button-down. I used to wear those all the time way back in the 80s, man. I look around at all the girls. They had every color of tights they could have. And I thought, back in the 80s, everybody was after tights. That's what they were wearing. Scarves as big as you can get them on every hand's turn. I think about the 80s. That's what they all wore back in the 80s. Sweaters. And man, I thought, gosh, I got some of these clothes already. They're at home in my closet. Hey, hey, hey. I've been wearing them for 30 years, beloved. 
been steadfast in my fashion since. I never gave in to the changing world of fashion. Just stood firm with what I knew to be true. And beloved, here she comes right back around again. My wife has a different theory. She says, I'm just cheap. How many of y'all here? Hey, hey. And save the old clothes that I have. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, listen. Don't you be swayed by every new truth that somebody shares in your life. Stand firm and be steadfast on what you know to be true. And don't you find in your life that it's those timeless truths that hold up? Don't you find when you think you found something great, you get out there and you start putting it to the test, and all of a sudden there's holes in it everywhere. Listen, beloved, we'd do well just to take the revelation of God that we have in our hands under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and just be steadfast in what we believe, not blown about by every wind of doctrine. He says, what do you do till I come? Number one, he says, be constant. Number two, he says, you ought to be concrete. I love that word, unmovable. He said, be steadfast, but be unmovable. Yeah, know what you believe and stay with it, but beloved, stay with it to the point where you'll not move off of it, period. Now, these words are similar, but they're a little bit different. Steadfast, I, I thought about it this way. Steadfast has to do sometimes with what, what you believe and what starts on the inside. Unmovability has to believe, do with what comes at you from the outside. And you see, you know what you believe on the inside sometimes, but sometimes the enemy starts putting pressure on you from the outside. And he starts trying to bump you off of that place that you know what's true and you know what to believe. And he tries to just ease you down the road just a little bit and get you to step off that place. And the pressure from the outside sometimes gets great. Paul said, don't do that. He said, you know what you believe. You know what you receive. Now you plant yourself there and don't you move. How many of y'all ever had your mama take you somewhere when you were little and set you down and look you in the eye and say, son, don't you move. Don't you move. Man, I didn't even know why I wasn't supposed to move. Didn't even know why I was where I was. But I knew one thing. I wasn't going to move because Mama would kill me if she come back. And I moved. <laughs> Paul's saying, don't move. Be concrete. Don't you let any inside force. Be steadfast. But beloved, don't you let an outside force come along and make you move off of the things you know to be true. And in our world today, there's forces on us from every direction trying to make us Move, And I believe today the church of the living God ought to stand up where she is. And like the old hymn used to say, like a tree planted by the living water, I shall not be moved. I'm going to stand right here. That's where I'm moving. Right Paul said, until he comes, don't you move. I had a battle with one of my cats the other day. I have two. One of them's very stubborn. As soon as I pull in the yard, she jumps up on the hood and lays down. I don't know if she wants to be warm. I don't know if she's trying to make some kind of statement. I fear it's the latter of the two. I believe she's trying to have a little power struggle with me. She jumps on the hood of that car and lays down. Every time I come out to get in the car, there she is on the hood of that car. Usually when I start the starter key, she'll get up and, and jump off, you know, and, and no big deal. The other day I came out and something must have been wrong. She must have been in a fighting mood because she would not get off that car. I got in. I thought, well, she get off. I cranked it up. Nothing. She just peered right through the windshield at me. She's looking at me like, big boy, I ain't going nowhere today. I am sorry. I'm not going to move off the hood of this car. 
I thought, she'll move. I'll rev this Toyota up. How many of y'all, hey, I did. I thought, man, me and you. I was talking to her. Y'all ever do? I'm through the windshield. I'm like, cat, you're going to get off this car, and I ain't going to have to get out of here to do it. I mean, she and I just having a little battle. I revved the engine up to the red line, baby. I mean, and I thought, boy, she'll get off there. She just sat right there on that hood and looked right in at me like, I ain't Boy, I'll start moving. She'll get off this thing. I mean, I'd like to see her. I know she's got claws, but 50 mile an hour down Old Fort Road, she ain't going to stand. She'll get off this thing when I start in reverse. Brother, I put her in reverse and started backing up. She didn't even move a whisker below. I mean, looking at me through. I thought, you sorry, little cat. What in the world? Hey, you're holding me up. I got to go. I'm too lazy to get out and knock y'all fair. I'm going to make you move somehow. I cut on the windshield wipers. I mean, hey, hey, right there in the driveway. I thought I'll get her off this car. I cut on the windshield. Brother, they were flapping just like Eddie Rabbit. Man, bam, 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 bam. There was that cat on the hood of that car peering between every slap of them wipers. I'm not moving below. You say, how'd you get her off of there? Uh, it so happened she was sitting on one of the fluid jets. How many of y'all here? Hey, I cut that washer fluid on. She hexited the hip hood in a heartbeat. Off she went. I rolled down the window. I said, I told you so. How many of y'all here? Hey, I told you. I told you so. Felt proud of myself. What a great victory. <laughs> and I won. Tell me she wasn't going to move. Man, I believe the Lord wishes we'd be that way. I, I believe He wishes we'd just take up stance on the faith and the word of the living God and say, Here I am. And cost me what it will. I'll not move. I think one of the reasons the church has not the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ in her today is because she doesn't understand what she believes. And even if she does understand it, she's not willing to stand on it no matter what comes. I believe we'd see the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ if we just get to a place to be concrete. What do we do until He comes? He says, first of all, be constant. Second, be concrete. Thirdly, be continuous. I love that. What he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That carries with it so many connotations. It speaks of, of excellence, of doing your very best. It means get up in the morning and do the, the very best you can do. Do it in quality. Do it in, in quantity. Get up and do the very best you can do. I look around me sometimes, shoot, this past week as I was listening to those boys preach up here, I thought, Lord, what on earth did you call me to preach for when you got people like that out there? What did you call me, somebody as, as unqualified and incapable as this kid is, when you got people like that out there with that kind of gifting and that kind of talent, the best thing I could do is go back home to Die Leaf Lane and let them handle the proclamation of the word of the living God. And the Father said, I didn't ask them to do what I asked you to do. I asked you to get up. I asked you to trust my anointing. And I asked you to do the very best job, not that they can do. I asked you to do the very best job that you can do. See, one of the lies of the enemy is that, ah, oh, you're not good enough. One of the things he'll tell you is, ah, oh, listen, you're no good at that. There's so many people that can do it so much better than you. Another lie he'll tell you is this. Man, if you don't do it perfectly, forget it. 
He'll say, if you're not going to be able to do it perfectly, don't you even attempt it because you serve a perfect and a holy God. And he said, be ye therefore perfect. He always uses truth against you. And he says, man, be ye therefore perfect. So you can't be that. So why do you bother even trying? But Paul here doesn't say that. He says, man, you ought to always be abounding. That means this. Do the very best job you can do for the Lord every day that you get up. In the work of the Lord, give Him your best when you get up. When the opportunity arises, say, Father, here I am. I might not be the best there is, but beloved, I'm going to do the very best job I can do in this moment where I am. I used to ask the Lord, would you make me the very best pastor anybody ever had when I first started? I asked, Lord, I, I want to be the best pastor that ever lived. Well, it wasn't long into that until I realized that wasn't ever going to happen. And my prayer changed. And I started to pray this, Lord, would you, would you make me the best pastor that I can be? Would you help me to do the best job I can do for you in the place that you've called me, in the place that you've put me? In church, today until he comes, what we ought to do is get up every morning and say, Father, with the gifts and the resources I have today, in the place that you've called me today, I'm going to do the very best job I can do for the Lord in this moment in time. He says you ought to be continuous. That means stellar. Not a half-hearted job. Not a perfect job, but the best job you can do. That's what God is asking for in your life. Be constant. Be concrete. Be continuous. Aren't you glad that the resurrection and the grace it brings means that even though you didn't do the best, listen, I can go back in my life and I can look at some things I've done for the Lord and I can say, look, I, I really didn't do the best I could have done there, Lord. I, I could have done better. Aren't you glad for the grace of God that said, look, that's all right. Here's another opportunity that you have. Give me your best today. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be continuous. Fourthly, and in closing, I want you to see this. He says you ought to be convinced. I love this last phrase. You ought to highlight one, if you, if you highlight your Bible or write in it, you ought to underline or circle one word. He says, for as much as ye know. And you ought not miss that word. It means for as much as ye are certain. For as much as ye are assured. Because it's an unmistakable fact. Because it's true. He says, as much as you know, you're convinced that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, what you do for Him is going to profit. What you do for yourself probably would stubble me. What you do for Him, I know that it's going to come out for profit. The kingdom's going to be blessed because of it. My life is going to be blessed because of it. Don't let the enemy fool you into thinking that your service unto the Lord is in vain. He says, as you go, until then, do it knowing, being convinced and certain of the truth that everything you do is going to not be in vain. It's going to come out for profit for the kingdom of God and for ultimately for your good. He is talking about your labor and what you do. But ultimately, too, I want you to know this. He's talking about not only everything you do. He's talking about everything that you go through. Everything that you labor in for the Lord. Every affliction that you suffer. Every challenge that you face. Every obstacle that you're trying to overcome. Brother Honeycutt preached on Monday night. Every valley 
that you're in. Every time you find yourself in that valley of challenge, know that you're not there by accident. Know that you're not there alone. And know that one of these days you're going to come out of it. And on the other side, you're going to see that all that wasn't in vain, but it was for the good. It brought profit unto your life and ultimately profit to the kingdom of God. Well, you know why? You probably never will on this earth. But I tell you this, I can give testimony in my own life after testimony in my own life that I was in a place undergoing a thing for the Lord that I didn't understand. I couldn't pretend to know why. That I had a much, much better plan than he had in that moment. Yet, when I got on the other side of it, I could look backwards and I could see that his good, righteous hand was with me all the way. That everything that was going on in my life, I was aware of. And that, man, he used it for the kingdom's glory. And ultimately, it's going to pan out for my good. Didn't Paul say in Romans, we know that all things work together for the good for them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Does that mean you have to like it? No, sometimes I dislike it very strongly. You say, what do you do, Pastor? I tell the Lord about it. I get there and say, Father, I don't like this one little iota. I'd appreciate it if you could get me through this valley just as quickly as you can. And I'd appreciate it if you'd give me some understanding. I'd appreciate it if you could get me some wisdom. But even in the midst of that prayer, what Paul is saying, no, 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 that everything you're going through is not for nothing, but it's for the profit of the kingdom, the uplifting of the name of Jesus Christ, the glory and the honor and the praise of Him. And if it's good for Him, it's always going to be good for you. In your life. What do we do? Knowing that he is risen. That is our belief. I'll ask you again. How many of y'all really believe today. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Not in a spiritual way. But in a bodily way. He rose from the dead. And walked on this planet. That he ate with people. That they touched him. That he talked with people. How many of y'all would say. Pastor I believe that he rose from the grave. Above all else today. I believe that. <laughs> then that means. That there's a certain way you ought to behave. Because of it. Until then what do we do? Until we see him, what do we do? In his resurrection power, how do we live? Well, we be steadfast. We be unmovable. We always abound quality and quantity and excellence in the work of the Lord. And we do it all knowing, convinced that what we're doing and what we're going through is not a loss, but a gain. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.